G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hello, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast on the Vision Radio Network. Remember, you can hear 2020 weekdays on Vision from 10am Australian Eastern Time. Professor Amy Jill Levine is a visiting academic from the United States and is conducting a series of lectures here in Australia over the next couple of weeks, starting off with a public lecture at Flinders University in Adelaide tonight. The title of this lecture is Jesus, the Misunderstood Jew. Professor Levine specialises in the Jewish and Christian interpretation of what's happening in the Scriptures, with a specific focus on the New Testament. She's on the line now. Amy, welcome to Australia. Uh, It's the sort of topic we don't always get a chance to talk about, but you're saying that Jesus is a misunderstood Jew because we don't necessarily understand the cultural foundations in which the New Testament sits. That's exactly right. Um, If we want to understand Jesus fully, we need to be able to hear him in part as the people who first followed him heard him. When Jesus proclaims, for example, uh, believe in the gospel, believe in the good news, we might want to ask, what's the good news? And it's insufficient only to say uh, he died and was resurrected, because when he's preaching in the Galilee, folks don't know about the cross yet. So what's the message that first audience is hearing? And the only way to understand that is to know something about that first century Jewish context. So when you have put together even an annotated New Testament, uh, which is called the Jewish Annotated New Testament, uh, that is something that just brings to life those stories of the Bible, given that they're set in a context of first century uh, Judaism. That's exactly right. And in the process, for the Jewish Annotated New Testament, the volume, and for what I do personally, I am not interested at all in in contradicting or arguing against any sort of Christian view. What I want to do is enhance that Christian teaching. So when you come to your work and you open the Scriptures, uh, you're seeing a worldview, I guess, different to our 21st century worldview. What is so different about what was happening in the first century that makes it very hard for us to understand? Um, It's a wonderful question. Even if we think about uh, speaking with our grandparents or great-grandparents, if we're lucky enough to have them, uh, what they remember as children is so different than what we have. Imagine now going back over 2,000 years and trying to imagine that context. Um, what, what was the synagogue like? How did Jews understand the Torah of Moses? Um, how did they relate to the temple in Jerusalem? How did they deal with Roman oppression? Uh, what was their own view of how to understand love of God and love of neighbor? And unless we know that material, uh, our readings of the New Testament are going to fall a little short. Let's pick up on uh, a focused example. Uh, What is the thing that you believe is most misunderstood uh, about Jesus, given that uh, his Jewish heritage is different from ours here in Australia? Yeah, 
I mean, the problem is that most Christians reading the text today, indeed most Jews, uh, don't know that much about first century Judaism. And what I find in a number of sermons or Bible studies is that early Jewish context being um, uh, treated as, as epitomizing evil. In other words, it's, it's, it, they hate foreigners and they hate women and they're all obsessed by the law and they're, they're following Torah in order to earn their way into heaven. Um, and, and all of that's actually wrong, as far as we can tell from all the Jewish sources of the period, um, as well as actually from the New Testament itself. So what we're dealing with um, is, is unfortunate stereotyping, or to use the biblical expression, bearing false witness against our neighbors. Okay, what are you teaching while you're here in Australia that uh, is attracting this, this attention to uh, Jesus being the misunderstood Jew? Well, I do hope it's attracting attention. <laughs> I assure you it is. Um, and I'm looking at, for example, how the parables might have been understood in a first century context. So, for example, if we look at the parable of the prodigal son, the standard Christian interpretation is, is an allegory that the prodigal is the repentant Christian and that the father in the parable represents God. Uh, and a number of Christian commentators will suggest that the parable is shocking because here the father, instead of being angry with the son or requiring the son to work uh, and slave in order to earn his father's love, the father shows love. But it turns out that that's not surprising at all in a Jewish context. Of course, Jews would expect fathers to welcome back uh, prodigal sons. That's what parents do. But what we can see with that parable, just as a foretaste, is the parable begins, there was a man who has two sons. And what we fail to realize today is that every single Jew in Jesus' audience would have known the plot line because they know from the scriptures of Israel stories of two sons, like Cain and Abel, and Isaac and Ishmael, and Jacob and Esau. And they also think to themselves, I think I identify with the younger son, the younger son who was the righteous one or who inherits the promise. And then we find out that this particular younger son is really quite a rotten kid. Uh, and we're forced in part to, to look sympathetically at the older son. Here we have just another way of understanding that parable. So you have a lot of wonderful annotations in the Jewish annotated New Testament. I guess these sorts of things people don't typically get into unless they're doing some deeper levels of even academic study when it comes to scriptures. Right. Although one need not be an academic, of course, in order to uh, appreciate scriptures. There are lots of annotated Bibles, uh, evangelical ones, Catholic ones, uh, specifically Methodist ones and whatnot. Um, what we try to do with this, this Bible, and it has 51 separate Jewish commentators, including from Australia, um, is we try to put the New Testament in its first century context, as well as to look at how the Jewish tradition from antiquity to the present has also looked at particular interpretations that Christians uh, consider. For example, um, we all know that the scriptures of Israel say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, uh, and people familiar with the Sermon on the Mount will know that Jesus says, you have heard it said to people of old, but here's what I say to you. And he talks about turning the other cheek. What we did in this text is we said, well, how do other Jewish commentators, Jesus being one Jewish commentator, how do other Jewish commentators at the time of Jesus and subsequently understand that same tradition? Amy Jill Levine is our guest. Amy is a professor 
of New Testament and Jewish Studies in Australia for a series of lectures. Amy Jill, stay with us because we'll come back and talk some more in a moment. I'm interested in the ways in which you look at the resources by which you can glean this understanding of New Testament life from the first century. Stay with us. We'll come back and talk some more shortly. You're listening to the 2020 podcast on the Vision Radio Network. Amy Jill Levine is a US-based university professor whose specialty is New Testament and Jewish studies. She is visiting Australia for a series of lectures, the first of which is at Flinders University in Adelaide tonight. You can get more details on that lecture and others via the 2020 page at vision.org.au. Let's return to our conversation with Amy Jill talking about Jesus, the misunderstood Jew. Amy Jill, in the last segment, we were talking about this first century culture that Jesus was in and that the New Testament was written in. Where do you glean these uh, understandings from? What sort of raw resources do you use uh, to actually get an understanding of first century culture? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Uh, we start with archaeology, and we have increasing amounts of information about how people lived daily lives in the small towns in the lower Galilee. Uh, what was life like in Nazareth or uh, Capernaum? Uh, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls to help us with one small group of, of Jews. Uh, we have the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, the Jewish philosopher uh, Philo of Alexandria. Uh, we have books that did not make various canonical cuts. Uh, so we have books called Pseudepigrapha, uh, books attributed to uh, Adam or to Elijah or to Noah, or to Ezra, but books that are actually written in the first centuries um, before the time of Jesus and during the time of Jesus. We have early rabbinic writings, early Jewish writings, and from those writings we can try to delve back from the text itself to, to the oral tradition behind it. We have lots of material from the Roman Empire, so we can look at what um, pagans are saying about Christians, but we can also look at what pagans are saying about their own lives. And that gives us some insight, for example, into the people whom St. Paul is converting. So it's not, the, the trove of resources is not as, as, as rich as we might have for 19th century material. But there's certainly enough there to get a handle generally on lifestyle. For me, uh, the best source I have for locating Jewish life in the Galilee in the first century are the Gospels. Amy Jill, when we talk about some of the things that are a front of mind in church life today, uh, issues like baptism and holy communion, uh, those issues of sin and redemption, uh, when you start to get into the type of depth of understanding in the first century as you do, do any of our understandings of those types of issues change or do they take on a, a new vibrance, a new life? Oh, I think I think if, if church is done well, they always take on a new vibrance and a new life. Uh, if they didn't, uh, in Christian terms, we'd be putting the Holy Spirit out of business. Um, it, everybody, I, I think, should be able to open the text and say, what does this text mean to me personally? Um, everybody should be able to read the text within a particular church community. What has this text meant to my church or my denomination? 
Um, and it, because we change, because time change, cultures change, we know more about science, I think we're always seeing new things in the text because we're always posing new questions to the text. And that's what keeps the text alive. Of course, when we're interpreting the Bible, uh, there is really uh, typically only one meaning to the text. And what you're actually bringing out is that cultural environment Uh, that context in which the text was written and helping people to see what that text is really saying. Uh, Am I correct in saying that really there is mostly just one meaning or uh, because obviously there's a lot of contention about different uh, aspects of the Bible? Um, I, 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 with, with all respect, I, I would disagree with, with the sense that the Bible only has one meaning. Uh, it can't possibly, uh, because individuals need to get different meanings out of it. And, and any individual can read the same text multiple times and each time see something different. So to restrict the text to one singular meaning, I think sells, sells the Bible short uh, in an unfortunate way. Um, uh, if we look at how the text has been interpreted over time and what the church fathers were saying about the New Testament in, in the second century, the third century, what the Protestant reformers said about it, how the text is being preached on Sunday morning, we will get vastly different messages. Um, so I would not want to constrain the word of God to one particular meaning. Um, I think the New Testament already, to some extent, lets us know that by giving us four Gospels. If, it's, if it wanted us to say there's only one way to look at Jesus, it would have given us only one Gospel, and it didn't. That obviously is going to be a point of contention, isn't it? Because, uh, yes, there's a devotional way to look at the Scriptures, and we're gleaning things that are meaningful to us, and uh, and the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. But on a, on those dogmatic points of uh, of orthodox Christian doctrine, I guess that's where you're looking for a meaning from uh, Scripture that uh, that presents itself and and brings about those sorts of doctrines. Yeah, and and we would certainly like to see that um, because it would make things easier for us today in terms of of a, bro- a more broadly ecumenical concern. Um, here I take Paul to heart. I I think Paul is is a really good pastoral theologian, and Paul says, ultimately, you're called to peace. The most important thing is the unity of the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians. And he knows that there are people who have massive disagreements, even within the Corinthian church. And his bottom line is to say, look, um, the most important thing is that you live in fellowship with one another. And that's probably, for Paul, even more important than the particulars of doctrine. And sometimes you need to adapt yourself to the concerns of the weaker brother. So for me, at least, the New Testament's major concern um, is a pastoral concern, uh, a concern that teaches people how to live um, loving God and loving neighbor. And if doctrine creates dissension so that people are hating each other or refusing to talk with each other, then I think it goes against the idea of love of God and love of neighbor. And so if you feel those sorts of uh, divisions, then going a little deeper and exploring the context of the Scripture from the first century, understanding Jesus, uh, who you're calling Jesus the misunderstood Jew, uh, is going to be helpful actually in creating unity of of being of one mind. Mm. That's what you're well, saying. As, as the saying goes in my community, from your mouth to God's ears, we should be able to hear that. Yes, ideally, uh, the more we study uh, and the more we come to appreciate 
um, the genius of the New Testament, perhaps the more we could come to appreciate the diverse ways that people have understood Jesus over time, but recognize that there is a unity in the concern to understand him. And it's that concern to understand him that should be able to hold the churches together. Amy, usually when I'm talking about the Bible uh, with various guests, uh, we're talking about people picking up the Bible and getting back into it. And usually I guess we're talking about uh, some sort of a devotional reading, just uh, connecting with the Bible, connecting with God and hearing his heart, his word as people read. When I'm talking to you, I'm thinking uh, this is really going a whole lot deeper for people who are already regular Bible readers, people who are not necessarily uh, in an academic type of a frame of mind, but your encouragement is to actually go a little deeper and explore those cultural and literary contexts and bring out the depth and the riches of the Scriptures. Uh, That's exactly right. Um, Sometimes uh, those of us who are academics can be, you know, we can be very esoteric and technical and, and frankly quite boring. Um, and for some academic contexts, uh, the personal or the devotional is really not quite relevant. We, we simply remain on the level of history. Um, I'm personally concerned not only for history, because I'm an historian, but I recognize this text is sacred scripture, and it speaks, as you point out, to the hearts of individuals. What I would like to do is enhance that that conversation that we have with the Bible. And I don't think that history and theology or history and, and personal um, personal devotion should be mutually exclusive. I think, in fact, one can enhance the other. Professor Amy Jill Levine is our guest. She's in Australia for a series of speaking appointments, and you'll be able to get a link to those appointments when you go online at vision.org.au find the blog for 2020 and you'll be able to find those dates and times there Uh, professor amy jill levine thank you so much for being with us today on 2020 what a pleasure to talk with you thank you very much like what you've just heard there's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au and remember vision is listener supported your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life learn more or donate today at vision.org.au